When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Managing Director, Charts and Data Operations at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. How's it going, Katie? Going great. How about yourself? I am just fine. Uh, I am just fine. I, 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 we say this every week, and yet I'm never prepared with some like witty, legitimate response. Why is that? I would like to say we have had a, a really spectacular run of shows where we had and this Kylie week Minogue, we know it all just goes then off. Troy Savan, <laughs> then Clive Davis, and now you're stuck with just me and Keith. Just a warning, just FYI. Yeah, we also had Jason on last week. You know, Jason That's right. counts. That he a, absolutely does. He, he was held captive for a half an hour. I am going to bring him up again later in the show, so oh. it's like he's here. Oh my! Uh, <laughs> the Taylor Swift whisperer, Jason. Lipschitz. Of course, of course. Well, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how Blink-182's reunion album, One More Time, debuts at number one more time (laughs) on the Billboard 200. How the Rolling Stones' first album of original material since 2005, Hackney Diamonds, debuts at number three on the Billboard 200, making the band the first act with new top tens in each decade since the 1960s, And how Cher's first Christmas album, aptly titled Christmas, debuts in the top 40 of the Billboard 200 and at number one on the top holiday albums chart. Also on the show, we're talking all about 1989 Taylor's version. Where could it land on next week's charts? And who are the many stars that Taylor Swift is thanking for making her latest re-recording happen? Plus... The last Beatles song, Now and Then, is on the way. What can we expect from the much-hyped new song? Keith and I will talk about all that and more. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. All right, let's do the chart chat. First up. On the Billboard 200 Albums chart, Blink-182's reunion album, One More Time, debuts atop the list, earning 125,000 equivalent album units 
in the United States in the week ending October 26th, according to Luminate. It's the first album from the trio of Travis Barker, Mark Hoppus, and Tom DeLonge since 2012, and the first since DeLonge departed the band for seven years beginning in 2015. In total, it's the third number one for Blink-182. Next, staying with the Billboard 200, the Rolling Stones' new Hackney Diamonds debuts at number three with 101,000 equivalent album units earned. It's the band's record 38th top 10 on the chart, and it also makes the act the first with newly charted top 10s in every decade from the 1960s through the 2020s. Only one other act, Barbara Streisand, could possibly equal that feat as she currently has new top 10s in every decade from the 60s through the 2010s. So Barbara, all we need is a top 10 from you sometime in the next seven years. That's all we need. Get working on it. Um, Also on the Billboard 200, Cher debuts at number 32 with her first holiday album, the aptly titled Christmas, which marks her 14th solo top 40 charting album. Now, she becomes only the second woman and third soloist with a new top 40 charting album in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and 2020s. The only other acts to have achieved this are Bob Dylan. Hey, hey, I think we talked about this slightly hey. earlier. It has to be at least the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones and Barbara Streisand. There you go. Um, well, they, a, Barbara doesn't have her 20s one yet. Uh, or does she? She does. This is top 40. She, oh, I see. I didn't yeah. even realize she's put an album out in the last three years. Yeah, well, she's you know, on me. This is, me. This, this is one of those tricksily worded things where I was talking about the Rolling Stones in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Now I'm talking about just being in the top 40. Oh, um, okay. But, you know, Cher has only had only 14 solo top 40 <laughs> albums um but they've been kind of evenly distributed you know in every decade since the 1960s so you know share i love that this is like a legends only chart chat today it's it's great i love it too um <laughs> uh in addition the share christmas album also debuts at number one on billboard's top holiday albums chart as the seasonal tally returns to Billboard's weekly slate of charts for the season, and it will continue to publish until early January, when it will dash away until probably next October. It's the most wonderful time of the year, Keith. I love it. I just, <laughs> I, you, people, if I mean, hopefully, if you're a new listener, welcome. <laughs> if you're not... And you've been around long enough. You know, Katie and I love Christmas music and love to yes. talk about it. So I am yes. fully embracing the holiday, the holidayness of everything. We had like three Christmas guests last year. We're, we will have special Christmas episodes this year. Plural. It's happening. Oh, wait, <laughs> um, Katie, before we even move on, because now we're mm-hmm. going to because I have another bit of chart news. Mm-hmm. But Dua Lipa, she's been yes. teasing something. Yes. 
I mean, I don't, we don't know what though, right? No, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it's more than just like it. Cause she's been teasing something that seems like music, but I'm like afraid you know, that she, it's, you know, who we need to ask is, um, you know, Paul Grine was at that AFI event that Dua Lipa was at on Friday. Oh, um, she, I saw some pictures of her with, uh, colleagues of ours not billboard colleagues i should say entertainment journalist colleagues oh um and uh she's got red hair now that has to be the new era because she's had different color hair for like the last few eras that she's had unless unless she's unless this thing is like teasing how she's going to be a spokesperson for clairol uh, (laughs) i don't think so i'm really hoping it's a new era and new music Yes, and she's wiped her Instagram clean. And to be fair, if we're looking at previous Dua timelines, uh, when before she released Future Nostalgia at the top of the pandemic in March 2020, she put out... Um, Don't Start uh, Now. Don't Start Now, I believe November, because she performed it at the AMAs that year. And so mm-hmm. I feel like this is actually matching that timeline. And like after the success of Future Nostalgia, she might not want to mess with that timeline Kind of like how Taylor Swift owns the October November space. Like Dua might be thinking single in November, album in the spring. We'll see. I am. Um, I, I know we're not. I don't think we have anything planned to talk about Dua in the rest of the no. show. But um, you, you all know that Katie and I love Dua Lipa, mm-hmm. and she's a friend of the podcast. But I'm so so super excited about whatever might be coming. So more to come. Future Nostalgia was my everything. I am ready for new music. Very ready. Um, Okay, last bit of chart news. Uh, On the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer spends a second week at number one as we await the likely number one debut on next week's Billboard 200 from Swift's new 1989 Taylor's version. Speaking of that, Yeah, why don't we just go right into news? Because, of course, we're talking about Taylor. Um, She released her fourth re-recorded album on Friday, 1989, Taylor's version. So, Keith, can we just, like, launch right into this with how the album is doing so far as far as the numbers that you, uh, you know, are privy to? So, yeah, I actually, as I've, as has become a thing, uh, I've, I'm going to be writing breathless updates about daily hourly updates minute by minute we are live on the scene (laughs) people are buying the album here at a target (laughs) i think the vinyl just sold out katie back to you (laughs) um i believe we just got some cassettes in stock hold on (laughs) wait there's another version with extra tracks just wait the tangerine variation (laughs) yes (laughs) that's real it's a real thing that's that's a real vinyl variation (laughs) there is a real version of that album that is a tangerine color only at target that has an exclusive <laughs> bonus track we'll get um, to that anyway um so i on saturday uh this so the day after the album came out i posted a story saying that the album had sold about a quarter of a million copies in the u.s on its first day of release um i don't i don't have any numbers yet we're recording this on monday or kind of in the morning on the west coast I don't have any numbers yet. I expect I'll have numbers by the end of the day. So I'll have a new story publishing tonight. So by the time you hear this show, that number, I assume, will be bigger. Now, how big is it going to get? I don't know. My gut feeling, I'm not forecasting. I'm just thinking. 
that this will probably be the biggest debut of the four re-recorded albums. I don't think this is going to be as big as her last proper studio album, which mm. was Midnight's. But this feels like this should be the biggest of the four re-records. Well, that's saying a lot, uh, especially considering how well they did. They've already done, especially like Red, for instance, and having a number one hit on the Hot 100 with All Too Well, the 10 minute version. So, yeah, that's saying a lot. Yeah. So. One of the interesting things, speaking of that, um, that Keith and I were noticing about this new re-release is that there isn't really a like single or a focus track like there has been on some of the previous ones. All Too Well is the most obvious example that shot straight to number one after you know a film version was released online the week of release. Um, we also had... Um, was it I Can See You from Speak Now over the summer? It yeah. had a music video released on the Friday that the album came out. Uh, but there was not anything like that. No music videos yet. And I, I mean, I'm just guessing. I don't want to get in the mind of, of Taylor Swift, but I'm assuming she's like allowing Cruel Summer, which is currently again at number one in the Hot 100, to just have its moment and to breathe a little bit. Do we think that that is maybe the motivation? Uh, one. We hate, we, I always say this by the time you hear this, there could be a new music video for some song off the album or a remix or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or there could, there could be like another surprise bonus track that creeps out of the vaults or something, mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. so, surprise everyone, I just felt motivated and I thought I would drop a music video on a Wednesday. You know, I mean, anything could happen. Um, but yeah, maybe she's thinking, I want to let you know, have Cruel Summer have its moment. But I'm also thinking, well, the last two albums both had a focus single, you know, mm -hmm. I can see you. And the one before that was all too well, as you said. Yep. So like, and they both had, they both had music videos, right? All too well had like a really, well, I mean, it was music. a literal yeah. film. Yes. So, yeah. so I'm fully expecting that Taylor's going to surprise us in the middle of the week with something. Mm. Um, that's just, I mean, I know I nothing. Hope you're right. I know nothing. Um, I hope you're right. Um, I do feel like she probably has a music video in like her arsenal ready to be deployed. Oh, Taylor, can you, Taylor, can you just not go head to head with the Beatles that's coming on Friday? Oh, we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. But God, please don't don't position yourself against the Beatles. Wait, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I saw that the release for the Beatles song is at no is November 2nd at 10 a.m., Keith. Oh, yeah, so that's a Thursday. The Beatles seem to be maybe sabotaging their own chances because they're they're releasing at 10 a.m. on November 2nd, which is a Thursday. Yeah, I'm confused by the Beatles rollout. You know, we'll talk about the new song in a second. But the from what I understand, the digital and streaming release and I guess the radio release of the new Beatles song is coming out on Thursday in like the middle of the day. But the physical single Oh. which is Ballyhooed, you know, it's available in a lot of different versions, doesn't come out until Friday. Hmm, so they're kind of splitting it into two, which is like even kind of worse. I don't know. I mean, maybe they're more focused on the UK official charts than they are on us. I don't know what their timing is. The UK charts tracking week starts on Friday, just like ours does. So they're losing so activity as well. Hours. Yeah, because yeah. 10 a.m. Eastern, we as I, we just established, it will it be six hours apart by then. Because of daylight saving. Oh yeah, by daylight, Sunday. Yeah, daylight savings right <laughs> now in in yeah in the UK. The UK is currently four hours ahead of the East Coast. Okay, 
what a mess. Anyway. Okay. Back to Taylor. <laughs> anyway, back to Taylor. Um, so in his ranking of the From the Vault 1989 tracks, Pop Shop co-founder Jason Lipschitz, he put Say Don't Go at the top of his list, um, which wow. actually leads perfectly into our first little news item because Taylor had a lot of thank yous that she doled out this week in appreciation of all the, the people who made this new re-recording happen. And one of those people is legendary pop songwriter Diane Warren. I think she's friend a friend of the, of the podcast, of the right? Podcast, Diane there Warren. you go. And she actually co-wrote Say Don't Go with Taylor back during the original 1989 recording sessions. And Diane posted a sweet bouquet of flowers and a note that Taylor sent to her after the album came out on Friday. So um, from Diane's Instagram, we have Taylor's note, which is, Diane, it was a dream come true to write with you. I hope you love Say Don't Go as much as I do. Sending the biggest hug to you. Love, Taylor. And then Diane uh, herself put a caption uh, on the picture and said, just got this from Taylor Swift. By the way, it's a picture of a bouquet with also along with Diane's cat, which I'm sure Taylor, noted cat lover, appreciated. Um, it says, just got this from Taylor Swift. Not the cat. I already had that. If you want to know why she is the biggest artist on the planet, this kind of kind gesture is one more reason why. So that was really sweet, I thought. Yeah, and yeah. go ahead. Uh, can I, can I interject and say, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, Tiffany Taylor, who works at the Hollywood Reporter News, so it, it basically a THR's equivalent of Tetris on the Billboard video News team. side on the mm -hmm. video team. She sent me uh, a DM and she said that some interview that I did with Diane Warren on a red carpet a billion years ago, I think at the Grammy Awards, where she mentions off the cuff how she had written a song with Taylor Swift for her then upcoming album had kind of went viral, according to Tiffany. I mean, that means I don't know how many people actually saw this, but someone found this clip of me talking to Diane Warren, where she mentions in passing that she was working on a song with Taylor. I dumbly didn't follow up at the time when I was talking to Diane and it just sort of disappeared into the ether. But fans picked it up because apparently they got excited by the fact that there was this morsel of information that Diane had said something about the song. Now, of course, I'm watching the video going, dummy, you should have said, oh, my God, what's it like working with Taylor? What's the song like? Tell me more. But then I'm like, red carpets are chaotic. It's a red carpet. I probably didn't know that I was going to be talking to Diane Warren. Yeah. There were probably seven yeah. people behind her waiting to talk to me. And then, you know, I'm probably distracted by Adele walking by. I have no idea. So <laughs> I wish I had asked Diane Warren a follow up, but I didn't. I, and here we are. I did know that there had long been a rumored like song that clearly did not make the album because Diane Warren is not in the credits of the original 1989. I knew that like fans knew that there was a song written around that time with Diane. And so it's great that this has finally come out. But I also think it's cool when you look at the fact that you know, Taylor was like, I'm going to make a pop album. If I'm going to make a pop album, who do I work with? And she was like, Diane Warren, like pop legend. Let me right. get in the studio with her because I've been doing this country thing my whole, you know, career. And obviously the bulk of 1989 ended up being with Max Martin, which another pop, you know, luminary. Um, and she leaned into that direction, obviously. But I just love that, like her thought process was, I'm making a pop album. These are the people I need to get in the studio with, you know? Yeah. 1989 was introduced by Taylor herself as her first proper pop album. That was her, right. I mean, that's not a direct quote, but she specifically said the word pop. Um, 
also, I think it's kind of kind of interesting. I was already telling Gary Trust, you know, who manages the Hot 100, and I was talking to Xander as well, who manages our songwriters charts. I said, you know, if this Diane Warren from the Vault track pops off, we could be looking at you know Diane Warren's first top 40 hit on the Hot 100 in a minute, like. Since I think that is a very realistic possibility. Top 40, like I think you could even potentially look at top 20 just because I feel like it's one of the most buzzed about new songs. Right. And fans are definitely going to, you know, congregate at the new songs that they don't know yet and want to listen over and over and over again. Yeah. And obviously people like Jason are saying it's the best of the new songs on 1989 too. So also, also yeah. by the way, I think if, if our chart, I mean, we'll have more on this next week, obviously, if this song does gangbusters. But I think, I think, I could be wrong, but Diane Warren, her history on the Hot 100 as a songwriter dates back to at least 1983. So she's like, this could be, this could be the 40th anniversary of Hot, of Diane Warren on the Hot 100 as a songwriter. We'd ha- we we'll might have to need to get Diane that. on the horn if all of this happens, by the way. She's she's a hoot to chat with to chat with anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure she has a song in Oscar contention coming up. We're about to hit Oscar. Or at least three. There's gotta be three (laughs) that should be a plausible, plausible Uh, uh, nomination. Anyway. Okay. So, you know, Diane Warren is obviously somebody that Taylor sent her thanks to. Kendrick Lamar or somebody else that Taylor thanked. Uh, you know, she shared a throwback photo with Kendrick and thanked him for originally joining her on the Bad Blood remix. I believe that was her first rap feature, right? On anything. And I think that's safe to say, considering, you know, it was her first pop album. I don't think any of her country songs had a rap feature. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for also agreeing to re-record his verse for the new re-release. I won't read this entire message. It's a little long. Um, but he, she said of the original recording session, watching Kendrick Lamar create and record his verses on a Bad Blood remix was one of the most inspiring experiences of my life. I still look back on this collaboration with so much pride and gratitude for the ways Kendrick elevated the song and the way he treats everyone around him. And then she mentions the fact that it has become popular at the Airs tour for people to grab a chunk of Kendrick's lyrics and sing it back to Taylor during the show. Mm. Um, She writes, every time the crowds on the Airs tour would chant his line, you forgive, you forget, but you never let it go. (laughs) I smiled. This is Taylor talking. Um, The reality that Kendrick would go back in and re-record Bad Blood so that I could reclaim and own this work I'm so proud of is surreal and bewildering to me. Anyway, just a lot of love. I like the way you said you weren't going to like read the whole thing and then you And then I was shy like one line. I'm overjoyed to say that the Bad Blood remix (sighs) featuring Kendrick Lamar is available everywhere on the 1989 Deluxe Edition. So um, (laughs) I think I'm pretty sure Katie was saying in in previous podcasts how we thought or she thought that the thing that could be holding up 1989 re-record was could she get Kendrick Lamar to come back and re-record because even just availability wise or I actually I would like to um, edit my statement though because it's not just about Kendrick it's also and I'm realizing this from listening to this re-recording it's also these are the most polished productions that she had ever created to that point because they were supposed to be this like pop, like hit you over the head. Recreating these productions could not have been simple. Like no. this had to be her hardest task yet. And so I think that in addition to getting people like Kendrick, who are very busy and obviously support Taylor's mission, but maybe just don't have time to get in the studio and 
it, it's a big ass to just say like re-record this thing exactly as you did it, you know, the first time, whatever. Um, but then it's also like these producers having to like try to, you know, reclaim the spirit of these productions um, that that fans know really well. I mean, so intimately. I had a lot of friends hit me up talking about songs sounding more different on this album Blank than space, they had on I previous think, recordings. Different from, I mean, not quite different, but I'm like when I hear it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is different. Like new romantics. This yeah, this sounds style. the same. They 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 all sound similar. But I think it's harder for for these songs to be more perfectly, precisely replicated because yes. of the kind of production that's involved. But also, maybe Taylor wanted to make them with what she knows now. I mean, because they kind of sound a little more like Midnight's, honestly. So mm. maybe it's like I'm making 1989, but like it's 33 year old Taylor making it, not right. you know, not 20. Um, I can't do the math that quick. Before before we, before we go any further down this road, mm -hmm. uh, uh, a thing about Kendrick, you know, uh, when the album came out, when 1989 Taylor's version came out uh, uh, on Friday, uh, Bad Blood with Kendrick Lamar, the remix version, did not exist on any of the versions of the album. CD, vinyl, cassette, digital, nada. It only appeared on the deluxe digital version where it became a bonus track at the end when she, I think she dropped it in the middle of the day on Friday. So um, it did come out on Friday, I believe Friday, um, but it's not on any of the kind of the main versions of the album. So I have two questions. One, was that intentional in order to preserve the original kind of body of 1989? And because Kendrick's remix initially back when 1989 came out, his version was, was not, not on the original it, album. It wasn't on the original album. It only came out kind of midstream when she was promoting With the music video. Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe she was thinking, okay, well, if we're kind of keeping with the thematic kind of rollout of this, then this makes sense. Or in the sense of like, okay, well, I won't put it on the main album for the re-record. I'll put it on a deluxe edition. Or what might more likely be the actual case maybe Kendrick didn't deliver it in time or couldn't, they couldn't finish the song in time to for physical for physical production of the CD and the vinyl and the cassette. And this was the best option they had left. There are, those are all the options. I mean, I, I, I would side with, you know, thinking about having it be what the original album was, but then of course there's the, from the vault track. So it's, that's not what the original She's already album thrown was that either. Out the window, so, kind of, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, hard to say. Another question to uh, dive into the mind of Taylor Swift for. <laughs> Can we get Taylor on the phone and find out? Can we yeah. ask? Yeah. Why not? Okay, so finally, okay. Uh, Taylor shared uh, one more thank you for Jack Antonoff, who she's currently, of course, on the top of the Hot 100 with, uh, thanks to Cruel Summer from Lover. And she wrote about the very first song that they ever made together. So her caption says, There you'll stand 10 feet tall. I will say I knew it all along. This song has always made me think of my friend Jack. It was the first song we made together and watching him challenge himself and make beautiful art over the years has been the thrill of a lifetime. How can he be six years older than me and also somehow still be my precocious young son? We may never know. Sweeter than fiction, my version is now available exclusively at Target on Tangerine Vinyl. So, Sweeter Than Fiction. This song is from the film One Chance and it was released in October of 2013. So a year before... Uh, 1989 first was released. I 
as a very, what I think of as being a big Taylor Swift fan, the first I knew of them working together was Out of the Woods on 1989. So that's what I think of as their like debut. But they made this song together probably during the 1989 sessions, but it was released for this film. It was Golden Globe nominated, I believe. Um, and this was their very first song. And so because I think of it probably all being in the same era-ish, the fact that it was probably made at the same time as she was making it in 1989, They've attached the uh, the new version of Sweeter Than Fiction to the Tangerine vinyl, only available at Target. Man. So there you have it. <laughs> and what a fruitful uh, partnership they have had since 2013, fruitful. to say the very least. Tangerine. Ah, Here. there it is. There, there it is. is. There <laughs> it is. Um, uh, by the way, I was quoted in the New York Times about Taylor Swift last week. Oh. Um, new York Times interviewed me and a couple other people about uh, the debut or, you know, at that point, like what we thought the debut of 1989 Taylor's version might be. I think the first question they asked was, how big do you think it's going to be? And I'm like, I haven't, I'm, I've, I've got nothing. I have nothing to share with you. I, they're like, I don't, great. <laughs> they're like, wonderful. We were really hoping you'd have an answer. Right. Um, but I, but I do have a quote in there where um, I think my quote is about uh how when this whole re-record process started, uh, no one really knew how well these things would do. And if right. it was just sort of a lark and maybe, I don't know, maybe she might just not actually completely go through with it after one album, you, you know. Or maybe they wouldn't be like each its own big event. Like maybe it would just be like, uh, send these to Spotify to upload right. them. So somebody, so fans will just stream this instead of, you know, the originals. Isn't it just, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's just, we've talked about this before, how we love the fact that Taylor Swift still creates, you know, is one of the few artists that can create event album releases. Yes. She's able to do it with a project of re-recorded songs. Like, well, I mean, what? we talked about this early days. Like, I, I think when she first put out um, uh, Fearless, the first one, that that's when we find we got, got the concept like, oh, it's kind of like a, a box set or like an anniversary reissue. But also like getting, a new like, album. Right. But you're getting you're getting, quote unquote, new songs from that era. But it's like she's turned things that typically just get like, you know, like a snoozy press release about, she's turned it into like a brand new album. You know what I, see, I mean? Like I said, the people that run the catalog divisions of record labels oh, are very sorry. upset with snoozy sorry. press release. <laughs> sorry. So apologies to Rhino. So apologies to Rhino, Sony Legacy, and Universal Music Enterprises. I love that stuff, like as a music dork, but like it's not, it's not creating quite the, you know, cacophony that Taylor Swift is capable of creating with each release, you know? Taylor Swift has the number one song in the country. She'll most likely have the number one album in America next week. She has, you know, the, mm -hmm. the biggest concert film of all time yeah. with the Eras Tour. And now we're just waiting for the Eras Tour tour to restart up in like, what, like a week and, a week or two? She's the most nominated artist at the Billboard Music Awards. Oh, hey, that's coming the Billboard month. Music Awards, which we just yeah, announced the, the nominations for a few days ago, by the way. We did, we did. Um, and Taylor is leading the way. As she does, as Taylor does. Um, I, like the, I like the way we're like, as an afterthought, by the way, the Billboard Music Award nominations were just announced a few days ago. The 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 show itself uh, is taking on a new form and it'll air on November 20th. No, nope. right. No, nope. 19th, <laughs> 19th. Is a Sunday. Oh, shoot. I was so close. Yeah. You'd think you I would know these close. things. 
Um, okay, so let's talk about this last Beatles song that is coming next week. Um, we will talk way more about this when we actually have a chance to hear this it. This week. This week. Um, yeah, this week. That's right. Exactly. This week. Uh, but Now and Then, which is being billed as the last Beatles song, will arrive on November 2nd at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. And it marks the last song written by John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr. So Paul and Ringo finished the song together more than 40 years after its inception. And um, additionally, there's going to be this little documentary film, 12-minute film, that is going to basically tell the story behind the song and will feature exclusive footage and commentary from Paul, Ringo, and from the late George Harrison, uh, as well as Sean Ono Lennon and Get Back director Peter Jackson. So the song actually began in the late 1970s when John recorded a demo with just his vocals and a piano at his New York home. And then in 1994, Yoko Ono gave the recording to Paul, George, and Ringo, along with John's demos for Free as a Bird and Real Love, which we now know those songs well because they were released as singles um, between 1995 and 1996. And they reached number six and number 11, respectively, on the Billboard Hot 100. So in 2022, Paul and Ringo set out to complete Now and Then. And in addition to John's vocal, the song includes electric and acoustic guitar recorded in 1995 by George Harrison. Then it also has Ringo's brand new drum part and then bass, guitar and piano from Paul McCartney, who also added a slide guitar solo inspired by George. So there truly is a little piece of each Beatle from their lifetime in this song, which is pretty special and pretty exciting, I would think, for anybody who is a fan of the Beatles, which is most people who enjoy music, I would think. Yeah, I was reading an L.A. Times uh, story uh, this morning about kind of it, 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 it kind of mentioned all the things you just said. It also said that they're basically that they Paul, George and Ringo had hoped to uh, record or finish now and then for the anthology Beatles uh, albums in 95, 96. However, the Lennon recording of now and then was a bit dodgy, like the audio, the audio itself wasn't as good as it could have been. And it made it very difficult for George, Paul and Ringo to complete something that they were going to be happy with. And so they shelved it. And so now, as Katie mentioned, Peter Jackson is involved with this project. Peter Uh Jackson, when he did his Get Back documentary, uh, had uh, with his team at Weta in New Zealand, I'm assuming, had uh, invented this technology that would be able to separate out individual voices and elements of an audio recording, um, which you can see in the Get Back documentary um, using other source material. And so I think Paul had this idea of like, hey, could you take this now and then demo tape from John and separate out his vocal from the piano that he's playing? Because we want to keep those two things separate and also just sort of clean up the audio. And then Peter Jackson was apparently able to do this. So I'm because I've I've heard bits of this demo tape floating around on YouTube. I'm really curious to hear what they were able to do to clean it up and how how George factors into it, you know, with his playing from the 90s, how Paul and Ringo's new elements 
are woven into the song and how the whole thing just holds together as a proper Beatles song. So we'll see. It's also kind of amazing that that title alone, you know, now and then obviously is just like a little throwaway idiom, but it takes on a lot of weight when you're looking at this song being a literal production of now and then. I mean, it's like, it's, you know, it's over the decades. Um, So yeah, it's pretty special. We will talk more about it next week once we both hear it. Oh, and, also, um, you, you also said, I don't know if you said, but the, the proper official music video comes out on Friday. Um, um, I did not say that. I don't think I had that in our story. That's good to know. Okay. It does, yes. yeah, it in, in the press release they put out last week, um, there the the song itself comes out this Thursday on streamers, digital retail and radio. And, and that little be, documentary comes out on Wednesday. Oh, the documentary comes out on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that won't actually have the song itself in it, nor the music video like a little like there might be a little bit of something in there but then on right. friday the actual proper music video apparently comes out and i'm sure that will probably be very interesting because when free as a bird came out that was very attention getting because of the technology and special effects involved and <laughs> think of what we can do now in 2023 yeah. yes. I'm, I'm fully expecting john lennon to be visually singing at me for somehow i don't know i'll, I'll stop setting my my sights too high by the way i bought three copies of this single already oh i love that in different forms like there's i bought the 12 inch vinyl i bought a seven inch vinyl and i bought the cassette single because i'm crazy oh (laughs) all right i think it's time for the chart stat (laughs) (laughs) it's time for the chart stat of the week can't buy me love love. Um, well it's a beatles related chart stat and it's a quiz katie katie as the mm-hmm. Beatles have a record 20 number ones on the Hot 100, can you guess which of these four songs did not go to number one for the Beatles? Okay. okay. Your choices are All You Need Is Love, Ticket to Ride, Twist and Shout, or We Can Work It Out. Katie, can you work it out? Which one of those four did not go to number one? Okay, so just one, just one. of those did not go to number one. I don't know why, but I'm going to say Ticket to Ride. That went to number one. Okay. Well, all you need is love. That went to number one. (laughs) We can work it out. (laughs) That went to number one. So Twist and Shout, the least likely answer in my mind, was never a number one hit. Twist and Shout. Tell me more. Tell me more. (laughs) Twist and Shout peaked at number two for four weeks in 1964 behind... The Beatles' own Can't Buy Me Love. Figured Um, that had to be the case. Nothing like blocking yourself from number one. So if you have Uh, to be stuck at number two, well, be stuck behind yourself. Right. Um, Anyway, there you go. Uh, A little fun chart stat and quiz, Katie, about the Beatles' history on the Hot 100 as we prepare for and get excited by the brand new Beatles single coming out later this week. I don't care too much for money, money can buy me love. Katie, we've reached the end of our big show. This is, it's funny. Last week, our show was very long because we had a big, long Clive Davis interview. This week, clearly, I was just very excited to talk to you all by myself again because this Uh, show was a little bit longer than normal and we didn't even have a special guest. It's Taylor Swift and the Beatles, though, you know? And actually, I'd like to make it slightly longer because I want to say one more thing. Oh, okay. Um, Well, because we just like sort of 
offhandedly mentioned the Billboard Music Awards. I just wanted to give a proper, like, little info on this. We're giving but, short um, shrift to the BBMAs, for God's sakes. Yeah, We're so I mean, sorry. We'll, we will 100% be talking more about the Billboard Music Awards in the podcast in the weeks ahead. But um, as I mentioned, Taylor Swift is the top finalist. Uh, she is a finalist in 20 categories. And then we have Morgan Wallen, uh, let's see, and SZA have 17 entries each. The Weeknd has 16. Drake and Zach Bryan have 14 each. Luke Combs has 10. And finally, we have 21 Savage, Metro Boomin, and Miley Cyrus with nine each. So um, a lot of great coverage on Billboard.com, including Paul's broken down, like, who's competing against themselves in certain categories, which is always fun and interesting. Um, so yeah, check out our coverage on November 19th. It'll be on BBMAs.watch. BBMAs.watch, everybody. Mm-hmm. Ooh, mm-hmm. That's, that's, so, that's so 2023. Um, okay, so what song should we go out on this week? Oh, man. We talked about a lot of great artists today. Can we do, go out on, um, I feel like we need a little more share Christmas in our lives, personally. Um, sure. Did you want to go out on the first single from the album, which is, which is DJ Play a Christmas Song? Obviously, yes. <laughs> okay, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. DJ Play a Christmas Song Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.